How we doing, guys? It's Fear Food Radio, episode number 77, with me, Mayboy Whitmore, and of course, the ever so clever and gorgeous Keris Marsden in the house. And a slice of banana bread. And a slice of banana bread, yeah. Homemade. And it was very tasty too. <laughs> um, so guys, episode number 77, continuing on a little bit from where we left off in episode 76, where Keris was just about to start talking about testing. Well, what exactly are people testing for, Keris? Why don't you give people a bit of a previously on Fit Food Radio <laughs> and kind of where we're going to kick things off? Well, on the last episode, we were talking about I'd been to a conference on Alzheimer's and cognitive decline. And so we were talking a lot about brain function and things that contribute and cause it. I said to you, it'd be quite useful to go through the range of testing that is on offer because these tests kind of are a reflection of your health status anyway, much more accurate than going to the doctors and getting things like your cholesterol measured. Yeah. Um, There's way more accurate means of assessing whether there's kind of inflammation going on in your body, whether you've got an infection, uh, whether you've got kind of imbalances with hormones. So I thought this would be a great opportunity in this podcast to go through all the latest testing that's available and then um, just kind of talk people through the benefits of it and if you're kind of out there at the moment and struggling with a health symptom and not really knowing what to do hopefully there'll be like a a, you know kind of an answer Mm -hmm. within this podcast um so just going back to the last podcast because it's relevant again what i kept saying was even the information coming out on alzheimer's being more of a kind of uh probably a lifestyle disease really is is the way that i kind of phrase these cancer very similarly um and uh, heart disease with all of these there's a genetic component which we talked about a bit in the last podcast but that isn't kind of a foregone conclusion. Um, there's a lot that you can do lifestyle-wise to, you know, kind of lead a, an anti-cancer, an anti-Alzheimer's, an anti-heart disease diet. Disease and il- anti-illness, generally. Yeah, that'd be easier, wouldn't it? Yeah. Anti-illness. Anti-illness <laughs> Instead lifestyle. Instead of just reeling them all off. <laughs> Anti-diabetes. Interestingly, they are all linked so closely because I mentioned before things like insulin sensitivity, sorry, insulin resistance is kind of a factor, that I think you're going to see knock on kind of oh well we already know this actually the stats already show if you are type 2 diabetic which is reversible by the way uh then your risk of cancer increases by and that stats out there i'm sure i've actually heard it but i can't remember what it is and you'll see the same thing now for alzheimer's your risk of type 2 developing alzheimer's if you're diabetic um because it's all about glucose metabolism in that sense there's a big that's a fundamental part only one part wow and what should clarify there is when i say it's one part there are so for Alzheimer's, what they have done with these trials is developed four types of people that might develop Alzheimer's or kind of, I'd say, kind of like predominant, like what's leading it the most. Uh, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So uh, the, you'll laugh at the phrases they've come up with, but you'll see how for someone like you, you know quite a lot about diabetes because it runs in your family, how it's relevant to, to you. So the five types that they've mentioned here is number one is uh, inflammation driven and they're called hot. So that's kind of the little phrase in the studies, hot. Uh, second type is glycotoxic and they're called sweet. These are people that are not managing blood sugar as well and insulin yeah. resistance is, is a key factor. Then you've got toxic, and they're called vile. I'd be a bit offended if that was, <laughs> that was my labelling in, in any kind of uh, research. Then there's a vascular component, so where blood flow isn't getting to the brain, and they're called pale. And then traumatic, and they're called dazed. Because I didn't mention, actually, but things like a head trauma can also be kind of implicated in... Uh, we know this in kind of cognitive function and memory loss. Everyone knows that if you've ever 
had a head injury there's kind of concussion can last for weeks headaches last for weeks and there's lots of questions afterwards about you know kind of are you the same as before that incident is there anything you know you can't do so still an important component but i think these are really important for for most most chronic diseases So, um, in terms of looking at assessment, like an assessment on yourself, if you wanted to look at your inflammation markers, Mm -hmm. a lot of people wander off to the doctors who want a blood test, and there's a lot that you can tell from those blood tests in terms of things like it's looking at your... Your, your blood cell count is looking at things like your fasting glucose they often measure and then they'll do total low um, LDL cholesterol and HDL cholesterol and if you're lucky they might do um, CRP C-reactive protein which they see as a measure of inflammation so when I go on a lot of the kind of functional medicine courses they start to talk about really it's advancing much quicker in that perspective right. and actually what you'd be better looking at is things like <clears throat> Um, high-sensitivity C-reactive protein as a marker of inflammation in the body. And if that is raising above 1.0, then we know inflammation is present. Another thing that you can get measured, and they did kind of suggest from the age of 50, just get this done like every every year at least. Or... And this, this, these, you can just go to GP? Well, this or... is the hard thing. I don't know that GPs are doing high-sensitivity C-reactive protein. Mm-hmm. It's a bit more advanced. Uh, they definitely will do C-reactive protein, especially if you mention like blood in urine, blood in stool, because they'll use it as a, a marker of, of systemic inflammation. Yeah. But you can go to a private lab like doctors, uh, the Doctors' Laboratory or Biolabs in London or Blue Horizon is the website that kind of looks at national uh, labs and kind of tells you where your nearest one is. And you can go and just book a, a HSCRP test there. Uh, another thing that has been talked about for a long time is homocysteine. And there's a lot of debate about kind of is homocysteine an accurate marker? And I think from what I gathered, the conventional medical world is a bit kind of reluctant to, to accept it as a as a marker at this point in time. But functional medicine seems to think that it's a, it is a good marker. And so homocysteine... Basically, when that is elevated, it's it's known to be elevated in the presence of inflammation. So one thing that can bring homocysteine down quite quickly is um, one, well, kind of one thing, is B vitamins. So there was for a time when we were looking at therapeutic interventions for Alzheimer's or any inflammatory disease, B vitamins were factoring in there. And I think it was Scandinavian countries have started to say after the age of 50, just everyone should take a B vitamin like folate and B12, because things like your stomach acid are declining with age, so you maybe don't take on as much B12. Diets are getting, you know, elderly tend to not eat enough enough vitamin-mineral-rich food. So why not just take a B vitamin? But I think you're going to find that that's as bad as saying, well, just take a statin then and lower your cholesterol. It's just kind of a bit of a, you're being a green doctor, if that makes sense. Right. You want to look at why is homocysteine elevated, and it could be a B vitamin deficiency, which is why they're helpful, but it could be something else. So if you just start taking B vitamins, you're not going to help the situation necessarily. Yeah. So um, anyway, so looking at your homocysteine level, if that's going higher than seven, then we know that possibly the well, we know there's inflammation present. Then the really interesting thing that I think most people should be getting done, maybe even like every six months over the age of fifty, we look at blood glucose. We might look at something called HbA1c, which is kind of like believed to be a marker of carbohydrate metabolism for the last three months. But there's a question about it being accurate. And blood glucose, again, there's a bit of a question. Because if your insulin levels, what insulin might be doing in the background is kind of going really, really high mm-hmm. and working over time to try and shuttle away glucose. But your blood sugar levels are looking pretty good. 
but that will only happen for a certain period of time. Right. So wouldn't we be more wouldn't it be more efficient for us to test insulin? And if your insulin is really high, but your blood sugar levels are normal, your body's almost got a kind of, it's getting a pre-diabetic response going on already. Does that make sense? Have I lost you? No, it does. But then do you, do you want to kind of just explain in simple terms? Because do you not feel that glucose and insulin are often confused as being the exact same thing? Yeah. Okay, so insulin is the hormone that is released by the pancreas when we take on glucose and when the blood glucose is when glucose is detected in the blood, insulin is released and one of its primary roles is to kind of attach to cell receptors and it's known as a storage hormone and it helps to move glucose into a cell. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it's actually suggested now that you know kind of having a lot of muscle mass does a similar thing. So actually a lot of uh, glucose uptake isn't necessarily done by insulin. It's also done by um, just having these little glute four, uh, like taxi drivers in the muscle that come to the edge of the muscle when you've trained and go, give me some glucose. And oh, then they <laughs> load the glucose in and then they take it into the muscle to replenish glycogen. So one of insulin's roles is, is basically to move glucose into the cell. And what is happening is, again, I'm kind of resting to say this because there's loads of new thinking on insulin and even I need to get my head around it a little bit more. Um, it's not as simple as, as we first thought, but essentially when we get insulin resistance, we've overloaded this system by having sugar too much and usually too often and usually not sleeping enough and, mm-hmm. and stressing too much. So our cells, you know, I, I use your mum as an example. It's like the friend that called you every day or the mum that calls Matt every day. Our cells just kind of don't answer the phone. They're just like, well, you, you know, it's always ringing every single day. I'm just really tired of this. And so our cells don't listen to the hormone insulin and we struggle to get glucose into the cell. This is confused a little bit by a new theory that might be that there's already too much glucose in the cell and the glucose can't fit in. That's kind of right. a new theory, but okay. we, we won't go there. I'm going to get Tommy to uh, do that on the podcast. Um, which, get, get the doc to either way, talk about that. Yeah, either way, the glucose stays in the bloodstream and the hormones, the, the cells aren't really listening to insulin. But prior to that, the body, because the body always wants you to be healthy, will start pumping out higher levels of insulin because it's like, oh, there's still loads of glucose in the blood. Like, what's happening? I kind of told the cells to pick it all up and they haven't done. I'm going to shout even louder. So it shouts even louder, it pumps right. out more insulin. Does that make sense? Yeah. Obviously, the cells don't take it up because they're, they're kind of on airplane mode. <laughs> <They're> like, <laughs> <laughs> they've, they've turned the phone off. So the what happens is when insulin insulin rises really high we get this kind of pro-inflammatory response going on and it's believed that that also might be linked to vascular damage so that's damaging blood vessels right and that even is kind of a precursor for the heart disease and uh, laying down plaque there so you see how it's all linked yeah so rather than going to um measure your blood glucose levels which is kind of measuring it in the blood if we're getting higher levels of insulin in the background we know that your cells are becoming slightly resistant and your insulin's having to shout louder I'm sure you could come up with a really good analogy of like a louder ringtone or something like that versus <laughs> to make people listen. Does that make sense? <laughs> so uh, doing the blood glucose testing after a meal is helpful because if your blood sugar levels are high and stay high, we know there's kind of insulin resistance and we need to get some exercise in there and we need to get some, um, you know, kind of insulin sensitizing stuff going on. Yeah. If your blood sugar levels are normal, but you're still having kind of the symptoms of blood sugar kind of fluctuations like irritable moods, uh, frequent hunger in between meals, disrupted sleep, waking in the middle of the night is a big sign that your blood sugar levels aren't balancing very well. Mm -hmm. It could be other things, but that's one of them. 
jittery, shaky, um, energy crashes, they're kind of the signs that blood sugar levels aren't bouncing. And I always think, say to people, you should be able to eat and then go out for hours without thinking about food. So if you don't, if you kind of get any of those symptoms, then you're not, not so balanced. Um, so obviously a glucose monitor is brilliant for most people to kind of just use that as their little tool that they can have, but then yeah. every now and then get a doctor to test your fasted insulin. And I'm sure we're going to find that insulin rises under other detrimental circumstances in the body. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And might have other roles. So um, fasted insulin, and what, what was the example that was given um, in the Alzheimer's conference was a lot of high-functioning people like geniuses, so, you know, like doctors and accountants and lawyers and high-functioning individuals, if they were to do the Alzheimer's and memory tests that are out there online, they'd pass them with flying colours because they were, they're, they're kind of geniuses. And what they've started to notice was things like they couldn't, they weren't, what's, what would the word be? Weren't, weren't as genius as before. <laughs> That's the worst English ever. What? Weren't as much of a genius, if that makes sense. So, like, one accountant said he could add up numbers in a column in an Excel spreadsheet, like, looking at them, click, knew it. And all of his kind of uh, accountants, um, so, he, so he was a business owner, sorry, and his accountant said, you are a genius. To be able to add up a number, column of numbers, that quickly, that quickly you are, you know, brilliant. And um, he started to lose that ability, amongst other things. So colleagues started to notice he wasn't as bright and sharp, but he was still a brilliantly kind of intelligent individual. Yeah. And then when he was tested, his fasting insulin was really high. So that's a sign that his brain wasn't getting the glucose and his insulin levels were surging, trying to make sure his brain got hold of the glucose. But obviously, within, with Alzheimer's, there's other stuff going on there. So plaques and things are forming, and we're not, we're not getting the same glucose metabolism. But for other individuals, it can be you know pre-diabetic status. So that's what they spotted first. And his diet was highly refined carbohydrates wow. and lots of um, lots of um, soft drink. So it didn't catch up with him until later life, but yeah. it was catching up with him. Wow. And I think you're going to see it catch up next generations much quicker. Because they haven't got that. Think of the generations before us, grandparents, parents. They didn't have all of this in childhood that we yeah, have now, yeah. all this refined carbs and the sugar. So they've got a better kind of foundation. And a lot of it's kind of happening in later life. Like they referred to it in the conference as glycotoxic, when the sugar is literally um, kind of glycating in the cells in the body and cellular communication breaks down. This happens with cancer as well. That's going to happen, I think, quicker. And the stats came out, didn't they, last week, that cancer, what was it, in kids have risen instance of cancer in children is now higher by 40 percent was it that was on the bbc yeah, last week it was, yeah i can't really remember high, the exact stat but it was it was really high really and high it, and it saddens <clears> me to think <throat> that people aren't making that association especially with kids you know soft drinks processed cereals biscuits crisps even my parents when they came in were would and it would limit them were like you can have one fun size bar of chocolate mm. you can have a small packet of crisps uh, no soft drinks. I was back. They were banned until the weekend, and then if we were lucky, we were allowed to mix coke and lemonade to make a shandy. <laughs> <laughs> coke and lemonade. That was the highlight of my weekend. That reminds me of Christmas when I used to have a ribena when all the rest of the family were on red wine. Yeah, yeah that's at least it. it looked like I was having a glass of red wine. To, <laughs> yeah, you know. to get it in a wine glass. <laughs> yeah, no, I did get it in a wine glass. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what though? Like, do you not sometimes think? Yeah, we were speaking about this the other day about. Um, you know, because obviously things are very different now compared to when, you know, our parents had us, you know, and we were little, ba- you know, little toddlers, little kids, if you like, running around. Because there wasn't the same level of stress and distraction then. No. As a parent. No, no, I agree. As there is now. Yeah. Like, I feel that now sweets and biscuits and chocolate and all things like that are used, you know, as a bit of a, a peacekeeper. <laughs> 
you know, if, if your yeah. kids are running riot, acting like absolute nutters, but, you know, like you're, you've got, you know, like emails coming through to your phone, like obviously calls coming through, texts, WhatsApp, there's social media, there's this, there's that. Yeah. Like the 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 the, the, the world's a greater populated place. There's just so much more stress and distraction going on. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> a lot of people don't, don't necessarily have the attention that they would like necessarily to to kind of interact with their kids a little bit more and, and try and. It's a big t- thing of, of time. Yeah, as well. absolutely. So all yeah. of these processed foods are just convenient, and I completely understand that. But then I think the the point I want to emphasise is you, you're probably going to pay for it later, and it's going to become. Well, the kid, the a hugely will. time-consuming, possibly a hugely time-consuming thing to to unravel. Hmm. You know, like if a if a child falls sick, same for thing. If parents fall sick, it can be a it can be a long and complicated route back. Mm-hmm. And in a way, the more you do now, the more you know you're kind of saving yourself that. So, but then what I would say is 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 make it step change. So, um, our friend Ills, who's doing um, the Healthy Schools project, was saying she's just talking to parents about moving them off, moving kids off, like crunching up cornflakes onto Weetabix. You know, just just more fiber, more protein, like Weetabix protein. Now, it's not ideal. Like I'm sure you know, we'd love to say they're on kind of porridge and eggs and things a little bit more kind of slow release carbs but it's a start you know that, we will get ills on the podcast but we still we will get ills on the podcast because she is awesome she's yeah. doing amazing things with kids right now and, and i think to be fair i mean not to go off the subject too too much that's, um, <laughs> talking about numbers that's like a really valid point in that we mentioned it on the last podcast like it doesn't need to be drastic change there are subtle improvements you can make like you All said time yeah you know like you just said like frosties down to wheat with a bit of banana and some proper full fat milk rather than skimmed for example you know yeah. so it's a bit more nutrient dense yeah more fats in there you know and these kids are going to be running around like nutters for the day you know they need that kind of energy and it's the same with like you know the good old-fashioned sandwich essentially two slices of bread you know they're not laden with calories they're not laden with fat or anything like that so you know from a fat loss and health point of view yes it's a processed carbohydrate fair enough for me it's often what people put in the sandwich that has the biggest impact i.e crappy low-fat spreads for argument's sake or margarine or something like that yeah you know and then they bung a load loads of mayonnaise in there you know cheese or whatever you know there's all these kind of additives whereas you can make a really hearty healthy sandwich that again would be a positive step in the right direction well again say i've had some people say to me oh you know when i'm caught short for breakfast i i don't like all these i don't have time to cook i don't like these smoothies and i don't like eggs like that's sometimes what someone might say to me and you know like i'll just go i'll skip breakfast and then i just get hungry by 10 so it's biscuits in the office or sometimes i'll grab a croissant and and i kind of explain to them like if you had made yourself something like a turkey avocado rye bread sandwich and eating that on the train or whatever, like you can make that the night before, or that would take less than 10 minutes to knock together, is still a brilliant start to your day. Yeah. You know, yes, it has gluten in it, yes, it has flour, and maybe we need to work on that at a later stage if you kind of have some gut issues. But as a starter for 10, that would be can a brilliant protein, fat based, exactly. low carb breakfast for Fiber. me. Like, yeah. So um, don't kind of think it has to be all or nothing. You heard it here first, guys. Food (laughs) saying you can have bread. (laughs) Get in. But it's uh, don't think it's all or nothing, and that's what I'm finding people are doing. I know I'm having breakfast tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. But it's almost because I. Uh, uh, along with you have said these are some of the healthiest foods ever people are like well if I don't like them or they're too time consuming I'm just going to sod it and have whatever's on offer which is normally you know refined carbs and and crap so um, okay just going back to the I'm going to run through these test results and the reason I'm doing this is because 
It is looking like things like, as I've mentioned, Alzheimer's and heart disease, the, the actual mechanisms that start to take place, like the plaque in the brain, the plaque in the arteries, is actually your body trying to protect you. Yeah. It's actually your immune system yeah, going, oh my God, mode, it's yeah. like crisis here. And that's why we're trying to go on, like, explain with the test results to say, if these results change, then there's a chance that your body's launching an immune response to something and do you need to address what is driving that? Right. And I'll go through what the drivers would be as well. So uh, next couple of things to uh, look at would be copper and zinc ratios mm -hmm. were shown to be very kind of relevant as well. This is an interesting one because zinc deficiency is thought to be uh, quite a problem in terms of if people have a lot of phytates in their diet. So I know I just said bread was good, <laughs> well, okay, in certain circumstances, but if you have a history of just eating a grain-based diet, so cereals and sandwiches and stuff, the phytates block the absorption of zinc. Uh, but also if you had something like low stomach acid because you're really stressed, you don't absorb zinc very well. And some people just don't eat zinc-rich foods, seafood, pumpkin seeds, red meat and stuff. Uh, generally, kind of high copper, low zinc can spin... Um, observed and obviously also women now have um, copper coils inserted so that could be creating a, a copper zinc imbalance in them um, and interestingly um, in terms of assessing that I think um, you can have there's hair mineral testing but there's a little bit of a debate about that um, so I, I didn't actually say what to do but I think it's blood testing to go and get that done um, so we covered inflammation and looking at hormones so fasting insulin and a big component Alzheimer's, and I would imagine you're going to see the same with cancer soon as well, was um, it was noted a lack of trophic support. And trophic factors are kind of like things that help with the development of and uh, maintenance of neurons in the brain. And they are, um, there's like a few things like BDNF, which you mentioned on a Facebook video. Can you remember what it was? BDNF? Yeah. Uh, brain de uh, Brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Awesome. Yeah, it was a, it's a bit of a bit of a tongue twister that one. No, it's good, and that's elevated by things like you call me proper off guard. I know, there, I I'm proud of myself there. <laughs> <laughs> if you saw the face I was pulling then, trying to remember, <laughs> like a rabbit in headlines. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's elevated by things like fasting and exercise. Yeah. There was a big, big push on exercise, which you'll be pleased to hear, Matthew. Um, really? Yeah, especially as I slated exercise at one of our last conferences, only because I think people focus too much on exercise in yeah, our in I, our world. Yeah, I think I think it's at yeah. the detriment I mean, it's, of nutrition. It's important, but it's often prioritised over other things that are incredibly important. Yeah, but it was um, uh, so the doctor was mentioning that actually get people training about five times a week and a mixture of cardiovascular and um, weight based. Uh, exercise and because it helped with that BDNF and you know I've read um, a book called Enjoy Every Sandwich about a guy who loses, sadly loses his life to cancer and he talks about being a runner when he was studying medicine right. and said how listening to music and running with, with how he got through his medical exams basically because he could take on information so he would learn revise something and then go for a run and that upregulation of BDNF that process would help yeah. with memory um, so just generally that's kind of one of the, the factors that can help support neurons but other factors which were interesting were vitamin D so we talked on the last podcast about vitamin D deficiency is quite a problem now because we're never outside and we're always wearing sunblock so don't do that uh, or just wear smaller amounts 
and, and just cover up. So vitamin D was a big factor. Testosterone was a big factor. Think of all the kind of cases of low testosterone we're seeing. I think it's a big, big problem at the moment amongst guys. Uh, thyroid hormones and low thyroid hormones. That's got to be the second thing, that the second biggest thing I think I'm seeing at the moment amongst client base is people coming to me with hypothyroidism, so low levels of, of thyroid hormones. Mm-hmm. And all they have been offered is um, thyroxine, which is hormone replacement, um, basically. Wow. And kind of like the first thing I keep asking is, has anything been done to look at the, um, you know, the cause? Like, what what's going on? Why why have we not got enough thyroid hormones? Is it because you don't have enough of the the kind of raw ingredients in your diet? Um, enough kind of, and that could be anything from protein, cholesterol to iodine and selenium. Um, you know, don't eat any seafood or Brazil nuts and things. It could be stress. Um, it can be um, um, some heavy metal toxicity. It could be something like um, I've lost my train of thought then. Keep going. Sorry, because you were writing. Uh, it could also be with thyroid and infection. And um, like looking at kind of, is it, you know, an infection in the gut, like H. pylori or a virus of some yeah. sort, has actually been linked to hypothyroidism. None of this testing is done when you go and visit a doctor. Very rarely even in private health as well. That's what I'm seeing anyway. And kind of women have been turned away with, just take more thyroid hormone, you know. And you know what happens if that is the case. They'll downregulate their own kind of... Natural production, natural production because yeah. hormones work on a feedback. So if you suspect that you have any kind of low levels of hormone, um, one of the most accurate ways of being tested now is kind of um, is actually a dried urine analysis. So peeing on a stick um, and then kind of measuring it across the day. It's very easy. It used to be saliva and that was so faffy. I did the, the kind of 28-day one for progesterone and estrogen and I had to keep getting up and spitting into a test tube put it in the fridge and it kind of always meant every morning I had to remember what days I was doing it and so client compliance with a lot of these tests has been really poor so precision analytical is a lab who've um, launched this kind of dried urine testing where you kind of wee on a stick and it looks like the metabolite looks at the metabolites of stress hormones thyroid hormones and sex hormones so you get a really good complete picture of of balance across and it's across the day so you get in that nice kind of uh, daily rhythm of hormones and what's going on and um, if you want to get tested have a look at their website dutch is the um, name of the test precision analytical and they're now available in the uk as well Um, so that's one way to look at those hormones because we know we're seeing in alzheimer's patients um, that they kind of lack they've got low levels of those hormones um, and insulin as well so insulin resistance is counted as kind of atrophic because they've lost that hormone it's not really doing its job anymore um, and interestingly any sudden loss of a hormone seems to create very kind of pro-inflammatory um, mechanisms in the body so um, having your um, having a hysterectomy and oophorectomy like hormones suddenly removed so oophorectomy it's removal of the ovaries which would obviously release the sex hormones if you have those removed it's been shown to possibly affect women um, quite severely so again he was actually the doctor talking about Alzheimer's was an advocate of HRT in terms of it being an interim support um, and managed properly and also he preferred bioidentical as his kind of method um, so we often have a, a kind of lot of members chatting about this in the membership group and some women saying, I couldn't have gone on without without that kind of um, hormone replacement therapy. Like, it saved me, it changed yeah. me. And that is, it's absolutely, I've seen that several times. It's just that it should be kind of the lowest effective dose, ideally bioidentical and if possible, localised. But also as well, don't you feel with these kind of things? Because, like, you know, I, I, I kind of do want to stress sometimes that we are not, 
anti-pharmaceutical because we know that medicine does save lives 100%. Yeah. But I do feel that, you know, for example, hormone replacement therapy, you know, don't just rely upon the hormone replacement therapy. Yeah, or make, take that as an answer. Yeah, yeah, make it as part of yeah. a whole kind of like lifestyle change too, <coughs> like we've mentioned over and over again, nutrition, yeah. stress, sleep, et cetera, et cetera. And it can play, and, and, and it will only enhance its, its effect. Yeah. Simple as that. Well, oestrogen actually is uh, plays <clears throat> an important role in memory and memory formation and so women when they go through the menopause are obviously going to struggle and, and I do hear this a lot we're going to struggle kind of more but if they're doing the other things that you mentioned like going to the gym exercising eating a really nutritious diet balancing blood sugar levels chances are it will have less of an effect the declining hormones will have less of an effect and if it has a severe effect then obviously go and explore HRT but as I said work with someone who kind of is going right it's got to be as natural as possible localized that kind of thing so uh, but if you are going to have any surgery some of these surgeries are absolutely essential especially with cancer you hear of things like uh, you know obviously kind of um people having their thyroid glands removed their ovaries removed for cysts and things as well then just make sure there is that kind of aftercare in place mm-hmm. so it's not just oh we just took this out and that was and usually there is of course hormone replacement therapy but it's difficult because i don't this is kind of where you know you kind of need someone who's got their 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 um so what's the saying? They're put in both pools of water. I don't know. That's not the right saying. Uh, they kind of play. They're, they're both into. They're a doctor who does both functional medicine, nutrition, and also is looking at conventional medicine. So they've got access to prescriptions and, and medications, but then also is supporting it with the lifestyle that is necessary to make yeah. sure you, you kind of got the. I can't remember what the saying is. What but... is it? I know what you're talking about, yeah. God, memory is terrible. It's so ironic doing this podcast as well. Um, okay, so with the the other thing, thing that I was going to mention was there was so much on infections causing um, a lot of chronic diseases now. So I mentioned before kind of uh, hypothyroidism being linked back to things like H. pylori in the gut. Um, <laughs> the the guts. The Did I say gut? The guts. Gut in the gut and even things like getting tested for um different viruses and it was the same for alzheimer's they were kind of saying look at the gut um health and um maybe test for hpv lyme's disease and um all of these probably are better done privately um so for lyme's disease they kind of test antibodies and and also there's blood tests that you do to complement that so often when you go to a gp they kind of will do the minimum because of expense these tests are really expensive and they've got budgets and they've got to fulfill them so it, it's kind of worthwhile you paying for it yourself and just kind of um accept that it's never going to be offered you know, some countries don't have any healthcare, so we should be grateful for what we have. But if we want that extra level, you know, I, I don't feel that, I sh- that we should complain paying for it, really, and going private and saying, I want to be tested for three viruses because it would cost the NHS a larger amount of money. Mm. Um, so I would just invest and, and kind of, it's, it's your health. You can't put a price on it, basically. It is true. So there are different virus panels you can have done. And again, Blue Horizons and the kind of private labs I mentioned earlier will test for those. Again, you're better working with somebody, functional medicine-based, nutritional therapy-based, who is kind of already talking about this stuff. um, And and you kind of trust them to to have your best interests at heart. Um, Another thing that was mentioned was the integrity of the gut. So we talk about leaky gut all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what uh, the, the kind of gut barrier looks very similar to the brain barrier. So... If the gut barrier is leaking, it's suspected that the brain barrier, which is designed to protect the brain, 
is also leaking. So things are crossing into the brain that shouldn't, um, substances, and generally it's more kind of inflammatory responses that are kind of getting into the brain, and that could be what's causing the, the, the plaque, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, because um, it was mentioned that the plaque in Alzheimer's is often seen way before symptoms, so it is kind of looking like heart disease. Some people will die with kind of, um, you know, plaque in their arteries, but not actually die of a heart attack or any kind of incident of heart disease. They might die of just old age. Right. But the, the arteries have hardened and there's plaque being laid down, if that makes sense, but it just never caused a problem. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but this was the bit that um, really fascinated me, was they mentioned that actually mould in your house and exposure to mould is playing a huge role in... Alzheimer's and uh, we lived in a mouldy flat, didn't we? we a damp flat, sorry, that was yeah. covered in mould. Yeah, uh, it's and we us all sorts of problems. Yeah, we both got really, really sick, Jeez. and uh, luckily we moved we moved out of there. But um, what was really interesting is they started to talk about how um, you can have a mentioned Cyrex, by the way. So Cyrex is the the lab who will test blood brain barrier and uh, gut barrier integrity. And uh, just a, a use kind of is the is the body even launching an immune response that's kind of causing some problems there. But just to go on to that, they did start to talk about because the nose is kind of like a gateway to the brain, and you know, and sometimes you're hearing this, you're like, oh. but then you think of cocaine, like, and the fact that we do drugs, you know, kind of intranasally, then it does make sense. And some some of these well, drugs. We don't. No, no. I've <laughs> never done it. But, Just to clarify. Yeah. yeah. Um, it makes sense that you're kind of like, oh, yeah. So the, one of the, the quickest routes to the brain is through the nose. And what they have noticed is that mold um, infections, in particular, there's one called uh, Marcon's, uh, which likes to kind of populate in the nasal cavity and will often cause people sinus problems and kind of... Um, uh, just like your normal kind of immune response, like snotty, runny nose, kind of like like we had when we were in a damp flat, you would sneeze and like a snot would like dangle out your nose down to your knees. Do you remember like big strings of it? Right. <laughs> but like you were really mucousy, like your whole, all of your airways were just pumping out mucus all the time. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah. What they've noticed is that there's um, something called, so it's called Marcon's. Are you ready for this? It's multiple antibiotic resistant coagulase negative staphylococci. Likes to find a home in your nose. Um, And from here, it will start to like pump out, um, activates your immune system. It's producing, normally all kind of infections have like, you know, kind of byproducts. But it also means your immune system is chronically activated trying to deal with this infection. Yeah. And the infection is so close to the brain that it's kind of crossing uh, the blood-brain barrier and causing even more problems. And so they did start to notice that in a lot of Alzheimer's patients, they had these infections in their um, nasal cavity, which was incredible. And that's one of the types of, of Alzheimer's now. And I think anyone that's kind of got um, chronic sinus problems and, and something that we used to think of as relatively harmless or like oh, I've always had si- sinus problems um, they're actually getting really advanced in the treatment of those now and it's established that we have a nasal microbiome so similar to a gut microbiome and a, and a skin microbiome which different kind of species tend to dominate in different areas of the body and we've also um, got well, obviously women have got them kind of and men you've got one in your genitalia as well oh, uh, <laughs> oh. 
but the one that's in the nasal cavity um, becomes infected and it's kind of like, I suppose you could say it's like dysbiosis of the nasal cavity. Yeah. So what they've started doing is looking at could we inhale probiotics or um, maybe even have kind of like antimicrobials up the nose, like oregano uh, in an inhaler style thing um actually breathing that in and kind of killing it all off and then rebalance it and anecdotally i started to read around some different studies and some blogs some people have started to put sauerkraut juice up their nose who have chronic sinusitis <laughs> and uh, i did recommend this in our members group and someone was like oh my god don't get the one with chili <laughs> yeah, can you imagine <laughs> <laughs> i always wonder like for the other halves in this equation, like, imagine how they... They must think you've lost the plot, you know what I mean? So you, like, listen to this podcast, you've got sinusitis, and you go, right, that's it, sauerkraut juice is going up the nose. Was and then you go time? to bed that night, and you lean in for a kiss, and they're like, you stink of cabbage. Smell of fermented veg. Yeah, yeah. It's like, is that what you tried making that... It's not me, that, it's my genitalia. ...natural deodorant with vinegar. And you just, you just stank of vinegar. No, I do put vinegar on my skin, and, like... I have a apple cider vinegar toner which I use because after reading about the skin microbiome I I've just I don't put anything on it now anything on my skin in terms of I don't put any moisturizers on <laughs> I don't know well, you're laughing at I don't put any moisturizers I don't use any hardly any makeup if I do it's a sprinkle of like a very natural powder very very special occasions very special occasions and I don't use any products on my body now as like it's soap to wash and then afterwards i start putting apple cider vinegar on skin just to kind of um as a cleanser or toner just more because we're, again we're back in london and you kind of have like black stuff all over your face just getting off the tube you know just, yeah so and i keep saying to you you use so many products still like not as many as you did but you always have things like fungal infection on your ankle and stuff because you still use moisturizers and aftershaves and creams and i think it's your poor microbiome just being bombarded with antibiotics is that that's what it kind is? of what products are yeah i need to nip it in the bud well if you look at hamish you spray your um aftershave or deodorant he sneezes about 50 times yeah he doesn't like it does he no and the, 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 we were told oh it's like, what are you doing mate <laughs> exactly stinks <laughs> And I just think it's it's just full of chemicals that your immune system is like, ugh, what the heck? So if you do have sinusitis, it's uh, good to kind of look up Marcon's. And what they're saying is to... They are developing some really cool kind of interventions for this. It's not like a foregone conclusion, but you you do wise to start doing things like probiotics. Um, the Alzheimer's guy was a big fan of bone broth uh, for gut integrity over glutamine because he kind of said uh, there can be some problems for some people with glutamate. Well, now winter's um, coming. So get on the Soup bone broth. season. Absolutely. In a way, I kind of mentioned to you before that uh, when you go to these conferences, you can spend your time getting really worried about everybody. Everyone you, that you yeah. know isn't following a healthy diet and lifestyle. <laughs> That's you. <laughs> what? That I get worried. Yeah. Yeah, I do. About everybody, me, mum, your dad, your I brother. I do. I do. I come back with like lists of things that you've all got Makes to me do. Similar to what we were saying before about like, should people have these tests? Like, do they want to know if they're like, <laughs> you know, got a higher risk of Alzheimer's? I'm a bit like that when you go on a new course. I'm like, oh no. It's going to come back. I did. What, I did. What's she going to learn this time? Do you know what? You, you, you come, I came back in two minds where I was like, I felt really inspired that some of the points mentioned. Um, so I should probably cover those now. So here's like 
the kind of key points that go across almost every single chronic disease um, or key things that you can do, sorry, that, that would help you. So first one, as we've mentioned, we ditch refined carbohydrates. And I'm talking kind of don't make flour-based foods the majority of your nutrition. Yeah. Um, you know, the odd bit of bread here, whatever, absolutely fine. But do not rely on them as your main source of carbohydrates. Go mm-hmm. back to what we call cellular carbohydrates were kind of from nature. So from a parsnip, from an apple, where it's kind of in a nice fibrous structure and your gut has to break it down and get lots of fiber out first and it's slow release, great for the microbiome. Mm-hmm. So most of your carbs come from nature. Um, and, you know, don't sweat the detail of, oh, what about rice and sweet potato noodles and things like that, just mainly from nature, yeah? Sleep. Sleep for eight hours. That I just said so many times over and over again. And if you cannot, if you cannot sleep then you have to sort that out and that has to be addressed because that is affecting immune system, blood sugar and memory and and kind of brain regeneration. So go and see somebody, um, come see us, whatever. I sort that out. That should not be left. And that includes sleep apnea, which was mentioned as a big problem as well and strong links to sleep apnea and Alzheimer's. Um, Next one, fast 12 hours overnight, which (laughs) you get annoyed with me when I put this in plans. You're like, oh God, because it it does complicate things for some people who are like, well, I get in at nine and I want to eat then and then I can only eat breakfast at at six. And, you know, you kind of, you're a big fan of the simple approach and I love that and I think it's ultimately the most sustainable. But there was a lot of information saying fast for 12 hours overnight for things like BDNF um, and just immune function generally. Um, immune system tends to have like a little clear out, spring clean. Um, and the easiest time for that for us to implement a 12-hour fast is, is at night. So if you finish your dinner at 8, have your breakfast at 8. It's, it's kind of easy to do, you know, way easier than a lot of kind of intermittent fasting protocols and things like that. Yeah? Yeah. Exercise. Um, he was saying five times a week, mixture of cardio and weights. If you don't like going to a gym, your weights could be things um, like just doing some body weight exercises, um, you know, lifting your kids, um, doing your gardening, you know, like there's more than, than one way to do resistance work, you know, yeah, yeah, you of do some manual labor around your house. Um, your cardio can be walking. It doesn't have to be running and kind of what we think of as cardio in a gym. It can be dancing. It can be walking. It can be, um, again, playing with your kids. That's good, good ways to just get your heart rate up. And so exercise was, was on the list. Um, next up was kind of, uh, just supporting gut function generally. So with that, we're looking at kind of, um, live fermented foods we're looking at bone broth we're looking at loads of fiber to feed healthy bacteria and then kind of um you know limiting if you have symptoms you know towards the food like like gluten or dairy then obviously just doing a a very basic elimination diet and dr c dr chatterjee from bbc's doctor in the house did actually say kind of an elimination diet is a great way of establishing what works for you and and what doesn't so that was that and I think that's pretty much it that's like that, and that's just that's easy stuff isn't it but that's, that's the thing it really is not that. like I think people genuinely are convinced themselves that anything that's going to get results needs to be restrictive needs to be complicated needs to be depressing and it doesn't and that goes across the board I don't care if you're bloody you know if it's disease prevention fat loss muscle gain, whatever yeah you know the simple approach will often win but people almost don't want to believe that something so simple can have such a big effect, you know? No, no. And um, a couple of other things that were just interesting to mention was some medications that you should be aware of, which could be driving your chronic disease 
in the background, uh, but you're taking them because you feel they're protective. Um, statins was on there and there was a, an article last week in the news where raving about statins the latest study has shown statins are saving lives and um, a doctor was on the news kind of saying I'm so glad I've got this on paper because people are worried about statins and it infuriated me watching the article because I thought everyone has the right to question a medication because there are side effects to statins mm-hmm. you know and there's questioning about the need for them in certain cases and if you can kind of deal with the stuff that's going on in the background you know do you need the statin and I think there are cases where people need the statin you know there's things like familial hypercholesterolemia where you kind of um you know, possibly there's there's room for intervention there, but there's no doubt about it that these are handed out like antibiotics, just too readily, too easily, and yeah. there are side effects that are actually having a negative effect on your health. So before being offered that, read around the subject, get second opinions, go and speak to functional medicine practitioners. Next up, um, benzodiazepines, uh, proton pump inhibitors, which suppress the um, release of stomach acid, um, antihistamines, antibiotics, all listed as, as I've mentioned, just kind of having a negative effect on your health. It might be that the antibiotic is needed at that point in time to kill off the infection. You'd like to know that you had the right one for a start, which is very rarely the case because right. you're not swabbed anymore. Um, but there needs to be the aftercare of probiotics and things like that to get gut function back to resume it back to normal. So if you have a history of taking shed loads of medication, if you're on a lot of medication, then, you know, kind of go and get that an audit done in a way and like oh, what are these doing are they maybe interacting with one another and causing kind of breakdown in function to the body that that could you know have an effect further down the line yeah and there are some people now who are both as i mentioned before a doctor and functional medicine practitioner so you can get that answer of kind of both sides of the story and get them to say no don't take that anymore um you know take this there was the last point i was going to make and it was about oral hygiene So another area that's really interesting is, and we've mentioned this before, I'm sure, but because the laying down of plaque, which we've mentioned for arteries and even in the brain, is it also happens in the mouth, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. So if we don't clean our teeth, we get the laying down of plaque. But again, this is kind of suspected to be um, kind of like a biofilm that that the body is placing over basically a buildup of bacteria. You kind of know that when you watch it on the advert, but I always thought the plaque was the bad bit. Didn't you? Like that's how it yeah, was on the, how, well, how you, on the toothpaste you advert. Believe, yeah, it? like the plaque is the rancid stuff, but that's mm. more like I think that's pretty much the protective side of things in your mouth. So do make sure that you have good oral, oral hygiene. So get an electric toothbrush, get flosses. I'm not um, an toothbrush. I love an electric toothbrush. I'm old school. Do you know why why women need an electric toothbrush? Oh, Maybe not men. Easy. Because you brush your teeth. <laughs> you brush your teeth. The two most exhausting times in your day just go out of bed and you go into bed like you're knackered you just are as a woman you're just thinking about what you've got to do that day and at the end of the day you're thinking about what you've got to do the next day so you're really tired and I, I, there was me thinking you were going to give me some kind of scientific reason no no and because <laughs> we, <laughs> we're always always thinking more and, and more considerate of others and more tired we're just oh. always more tired so like that when we first met you were like you brush your teeth in 10 seconds it's because I was always exhausted and then I went to a toothbrush and it has that little timer so now i do do it properly and uh I'm, I'm quiet I, I spend a good 10 minutes running yeah, my you're, you're weird my dentist said to me you can see when i first went to him when they were when they were a bit bad he was like you totally brush 
just the front and the, yeah. the sides where everyone can see. Like it's, it's like people who just train like their beach muscles, <laughs> yeah, exactly. che- chest and abs. Don't worry, about, don't worry about the legs and the glutes. And, just do uh, your, that's men, by just the way. Do, like, do you do your front? Just tape. what people can see. Your front takes, and that's it. But um, meanwhile, there's like a family of bacteria <laughs> and mold growing on the back of your teeth. The back teeth are dangling; <laughs> they're hanging on for dear life, about to fall out. But um, I do know there's a big debate about fluoride and whether fluoride affects it's a chemical. What's it doing to thyroid hormone health, and what's it doing in terms of is it is it kind of an issue for us? So we have fluoride-free toothpaste, don't we? But we've just got like a Jason one or a Kingfisher one that's still relative, and we could make our own. I've seen great stuff yeah. on that. But I also floss two or three times a week now, and I just use it. I do use kind of fluoride flosses. I'm not that fussed about that. And As the saying goes, you don't have to floss all your teeth, just the ones you want to keep. Oh, really? That's good. Uh, we use a mouthwash. And then finally, uh, this is a great tip off uh, Mike Marler, wasn't it? Kettlebell uh, trainer. He used to say, swish coconut oil around your mouth uh, before bed because it's mm-hmm. kind of very antibacterial. antibacterial yeah. So if you sleep with your mouth open, does everyone do that? I do it sometimes. I, I do. I, yeah. I know for a fact I do. Uh, I if you put the coconut else. oil around your mouth, then that, that would be really helpful for that. Even if you're a Napo E4, that's fine. <laughs> Um, so that was it really it was just links and it's funny because I go around now and people talk and I'm like oh my gosh you can see poor dental health in the ter- in, in that you know a lot of gym people like training away in the gym but then they've got like terrible dental and you kind of want to say something but it, it looks rude but it's more out of concern it's not I'm not being yeah, vain yeah. I'm not like I think it's people don't see the connection. Oh, no, no. You course. know, they just think, like, what's going on with your mouth yeah. only affects. Yeah, no, You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, and it's, and, and don't get me wrong, like, a lot of all this, you know, the kind of like the, the, the oral hygiene. I mean, I've always been big on oral hygiene. I've been weird like that, even as I was a kid. Yeah. I wasn't those kids whose parents are like, have you brushed your teeth yet? Like, I always brush my teeth. Yeah. Um, I was always very good, despite, you know, probably eating too many sweet teas. Um, I was always very good at that before bed and when I woke up in the morning. But, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that you've said to me over the last like, year or two about the importance of oral hygiene yeah. for general health and, yeah, and yeah. whatnot is, is, you know, it's incredibly new to me. I think, it, yeah, yeah. So that was just a, it, it's a basically a pathway. The easiest way I can explain it, it's a pathway to the heart. So they started to notice that gum disease was linked to heart disease. I wonder now if it's more, yes, it's a pathway to the heart, and I think that it was thought to be kind of a virus or bacteria, but I don't know, is it more systemic inflammation? You're just so inflamed, you've just got plaque everywhere. Well, I was used to wonder. Plaque in your fingernails, I don't know. Sounds horrible. Yeah, but if you think about it, a lot of this stuff didn't exist long, like, well, some of it did exist, but not to the extent, like, we didn't push our bodies in the wrong direction like we do now Mm. so much that, like, I think our bodies are just kind of fighting for function and survival but i suppose that's the thing like there's so many more natural stresses around us now compared to you know what they used to be you know in terms of like pollution's worse you know uh wi-fi is absolutely everywhere we go yeah you know our diet is worse we're probably pushing ourselves in the gym harder than we used to yeah um you know it's, it's all these kind of things that you know that, that, that contribute um 
I suppose we've re- we've replaced lions and wildebeest with Wi-Fi pollution and I don't think we're ever killed by wildebeest. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. No, yeah. You, you won't want to get stampeded by one of them bad boys. Let me tell you. Um, I was just quickly going to say what they were talking about for nutrition because this sounds very familiar to me. But nutrition was, by the way, I've, read, I've just read three books on gut health. All of them brilliant, but all of them saying the same thing, which was about diversity in your nutrition. Mm-hmm. So tons and tons and tons of different plant-based foods, different types of proteins from different meat and fish, always kind of vary in your diet. But again, just as close to nature and not been through a factory as possible. Yeah. So just quickly, and with this uh, at this conference, they mentioned something called avoid the Bafuda triangle, which was simple carbohydrates, saturated fats, and low fiber. But the saturated fats they're talking about are coming from like your McDonald's type stuff, as in yeah. like poor quality meat. Um, swapping the source of your carbohydrate-based foods um, to basically optimize nutrients. So that's obviously get more vitamins and minerals in. Uh, induce autophagy. So that was um, fasting as well. It's really important for autophagy, yeah. which is a cell sprinkling for the immune system. Put in detoxifying vegetables. Which ones do you think detox the most? See if you can guess these. Detox. Yeah, detoxing vegetables. Some of them are in our reboot plan, which you should have read. <laughs> I'm not joking. Detoxing vegetables. Yeah. yeah. One is obvious. I wouldn't have got the other two. Can't tell me. So the crucifers, the crucifers veg, broccoli sprouts. Oh yeah, you open do. out like, like a broccoli a sprout. Broccoli sprout, then yeah. Uh, so broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, cabbage. So obviously a oh, sauerkraut. I love some Brussels, and mate. I love some Brussels. Sauerkraut and kimchi would be good. Uh, coriander, is it up there? Winner. Winner. And the artichoke. Jerusalem artichoke. The humble artichoke. It's always in liver detox formulas, actually. There's always artichoke. Low glycemic fruits. Don't go too tropical with your fruits. Uh, Do you know what, to be fair, something I have realised of late, I I said actually mentioned this to you yesterday, didn't I? Yeah. That I just don't seem to do too well with, you know, anything beyond a post-workout banana and maybe some berries. Yeah. Anything else like, you know, as much as I love mangoes nectarines yeah you've noticed that they're uh, you're getting i tend to just they 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 tend to bloat me and also yeah. uh, this rash that keris keeps mentioning <laughs> on my foot <laughs> tends to flare up i've noticed on days that are a bit more heavy in, in kind of like fruit um, but then if you look at the size of those nectarines i mean we got them from the farmer's market because they did look really nice but even i was like these nectarines are the size of grapefruits yeah they were which massive. is not bigger so yeah and we've been buying local apples and pears from the london farmer's markets that are kent and the apples are the size of a satsuma they're tiny yeah and i've been doing that on purpose because i quite like an apple i think the benefits it's got pectin in which is great again for detoxing mm-hmm. and other um fibers but I don't like a big apple that's really sweet, so I've just been getting a small seasonal Kent fruit, and I'll do the same for pears now in the autumn. Last few bits for um, nutrition. Meat as a condiment. Um, this is a bit debated everywhere, really, that are we eating too much meat? The thing is, when you hear these studies in America, what they do with their meat is atrocious. You know, you've got, like, these huge... Um, like what they call, like, feedlot farms, where they're kind of, you know, literally just churning out animals pumped full of hormones and antibiotics it's different in different countries there is some antibiotics in in administered to animals in the uk uh, not so much in the feed the eu did try and ban that because they could see it was kind of being done to to maybe make animals fatter was the kind of argument so it was banned in the eu but they'll still be things will still make their way in and um 
there's not much we can do about it. So I would say kind of the quality of your meat is key and obviously kind of maybe not having it breakfast, lunch and dinner. Yeah. So if you have gone off on a bit of a paleo mission and find you're just living on sausages and bacon, maybe not the best thing for kind of gut health mm. and, <laughs> and other stuff. <laughs> Plus you pan fry a lot of that stuff and that's burnt foods is, is basically kind of, that's what we call um, an advanced glycation end product, age. Which, Sorry, you broke up a bit there. <laughs> yeah, I'm losing you. Sorry, which ages you. Ages age you. So any burnt foods age you and cause inflammation. Uh, last bit was if it's fish, go for wild caught where possible and smash. We know that one. Um, and avoid... Uh, so just, just clarify what smash is, just if anyone's just tuned into our podcast. Then you you should do that. So smash stands for sardines, mackerel, anchovies, salmon and herring. Perfect. And uh, avoid shark and tuna. Oh, I love a bit of shark. <laughs> I do shame. like tuna uh, because of the mercury. And then... Never had shark. Pastured eggs. Heal your gut. Lots and lots of uh, pro and prebiotics. And uh, maybe consider ketosis if in advanced stages. And it did say avoid gluten, dairy and other high allergenic foods if, if needed, which would be... So g- generally, you know, we're on the right lines, I think. It is pretty much what we've been preaching for a long time, you know. Yep. Most of your calories coming from unprocessed single ingredient foods, with the odd treat here and there. Yeah. Um, plenty of sleep, daily movement, controlling your stress levels. Yeah. Just smiling as much as you can. Oh, they did mention fun. They said we don't have enough fun. It's, it's, do you know what? It's so Ray true. loves fun. We don't have enough fun. I know that much. Do you know what was nice? The guy, is he's like a professor, and he said, I never thought I'd stand up in front of those hundreds of us there and say, you guys need to go off to, like, a concert and, like, dance and have some fun. Live a little. Yeah. But interestingly, just one last point, this is reversing the processes of those disease. It's <coughs> so powerful. And, I hear it. And, uh, and in some cases, <coughs> it's been used with the drugs. So alongside medical intervention. But that's what I mean. You know, it's, it's, never, it's never just the one thing. No. You know, it, always, it will always make sense to do things as part of... You know, many factors. Yeah. Makes total sense, doesn't it? Right. So do we manage to do another hour? We should That's we should... a wrap. <laughs> Guys, thank that. you so much for tuning in once again. Laura, Laura information there as per usual. But don't overwhelm yourselves like we always say. Take little nuggets of information away. These podcasts are going nowhere. You can always come back and listen again. But for us, guys, it's just all about simplifi- simplifying things, you know, in knowing that this is a journey, don't try and change every single thing at once. Don't overwhelm yourself like that because it will just result in stress and you, you won't be able to stick to it and it will drive you mad. So step change is key, guys, regardless of what your goal is. So hope you enjoyed. As always, share away with anyone you think this will uh, benefit. Please, please leave a review on iTunes if you haven't done so already. Um, It goes a hell of a long way and it helps us and we'll be forever grateful. Um, Guys, keep the questions coming in and we will see you in episode number 78, I think. Yeah, 78. Yeah. Toodles. Bye. Bye.